All right, church family, let's get into our uh, teaching this morning. Uh, we're going to continue in our journey in the Gospel of Mark, so I would invite you uh, to turn to Mark 10. We'll pick up this morning where we left off. Our text is uh, verse 17 to 31 uh, for the Gospel. Um, let me remind you of where we did end last week and some uh, context of the greater uh, kind of meta-narrative of the Gospel of Mark. Again, Mark 10 is a transition uh, in the narrative from the ministry of the Sea of Galilee uh, south uh, to the region of Judea. Uh, Jesus is preparing for his entry into Jerusalem during Holy Week, which actually is the next chapter. Mark 11 is the uh, narrative of his triumphant entry. Uh, we said last week as well that Mark 10 is full of discipleship lessons for the twelve. Uh, the time is coming very soon uh, that Jesus would go to the cross, uh, resurrect, and then ascend to heaven. The reality of that means this, that the gospel mission would be squarely on their shoulders. So what we're reading and what we're learning and what we're talking about in Mark chapter 10 is really, really, really important for us to understand in terms of what Jesus is uh, passionately wanting to get across to the disciples before his departure. Uh, last week, if you remember, uh, hostile Pharisees were coming and they were asking questions about the law and Jesus would uh, respond to them by teaching them uh, a, a response question about the law. The, the, the text is about Jesus teaching on the gospel, but what we saw last week is when Jesus gets questions about uh, God's perfect law, he will give an answer uh, in response to that, about God's uh, perfect law, raising the bar in people's minds so that they ultimately would move to a place of humility and ask uh, God to save them by His uh, grace. Let me uh, pull a passage of Scripture up for you to look at before we uh, get into our text this morning. Uh, Paul writing to the church in Rome. Uh, we mentioned this verse last week as well. Just wanted to remind you of this. Paul says, For by the works of the law... Uh, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so Jesus is teaching about the gospel as he interacts with people as they ask questions about the law. The reason why I want to remind you about that is that we'll see something really similar in our text this week. Jesus, once again, is teaching about the gospel, uh, but it's another question about law, the question, though, this time doesn't come from a hostile group of Pharisees. This time the question is coming from a young Jewish leader, a, a, a person who is humble, actually. He, he is desiring answers. There is respect for Jesus about um, who he is and what he teaches, but he also comes asking a question about the law. And so what we'll see in our passage uh, today is that Jesus, once again, uh, he will answer a question about the law with the high demands, the perfect standard of God's law. The teaching uh, about the gospel, uh, the narrative, it's a rich young ruler and we know by his question, he was striving to live uh, by the law. And what we'll see is that uh, he had an idol of wealth. Uh, and there are certainly, in this passage, there are going to be things for us to discern and to think about 
um, in terms of materialism, in terms of the idolatry of money or the temptation uh, or the danger of wealth uh, from this passage. Uh, but that will not be my emphasis in our time together this morning. What I'm going to be emphasizing uh, here is what I believe is what this passage is most concerned about, and that is Jesus teaching the twelve about his grace. And so let's get into it. Again, um, Mark 10, 17 to uh, 31. We'll start by just reading the first couple of verses uh, from our passage this morning, uh, starting in verse 17. And he was setting out on his journey, again, the journey from Judea, uh, from the region of the Galilee down to the region of Judea, ultimately to the city, the great city of Jerusalem. And so as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man Uh, ran up and knelt before him. So the reality of this man kneeling before Jesus gives us some idea of his humility and his desire to learn, different than the hostile Pharisees from our passage uh, last week. And so he comes and he kneels before Jesus and he asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Uh, Verse 17, it just says simply, a man ran up to Jesus. Uh, The story, this narrative uh, has become well known uh, as the story of the rich young ruler. And the reason why the story has become known as the rich young ruler is because of how the different gospel writers uh, give uh, context to who this man was. Matthew's account calls him young. Uh, Luke's account of this story calls him a ruler. And later in our narrative this morning in verse 22, Mark's account calls him Wealthy, And so this man was Jewish and he was a rich young ruler. He had uh, some authority and he had means. And so this is who comes asking Jesus this question. And he says, good teacher. And Jesus here uh, acknowledges uh, his deity. Uh, he he uh, says to the man, you call me good. No one is good except God alone. I, I see Jesus saying to this Man here, I am good because uh, I am God, and so you are right uh, to come and ask uh, me questions. And then the question he poses uh, isn't a question. I believe the question that he poses is the question. It's not just a question that he asks, but it's a question every one of us asks. And so uh, let us consider this question um, carefully. Let us consider it prayerfully uh, together uh, here. Uh, The question he asks is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He has eternity on his mind and and his heart, and he's asking the question about uh, how his life can position him to an eternal reality. I I don't know that there's a bigger question uh, than this. Uh, Some biblical context Uh, of where this young man, this rich young ruler was coming from. The book of Ecclesiastes, 
says that God himself has put or he has written eternity on our hearts. Certainly on the heart of this young man, but on my heart and on your heart, on every person's heart, there is a reality of eternity that's been written in our hearts by God himself. There's a prophecy, too, about the coming ages from Daniel chapter 12 that I believe was infusing uh, this man's question. And Daniel 12, 1 and 2 says, Your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to an inheritance of eternal life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. I believe this man is um, thinking about this and he's thinking, I want to be on the side of everlasting life. I don't want to be on the side of shame and everlasting contempt. And so he comes to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to invite you uh, to put a box around or highlight or underline in your Bible that, that phrase, what must I do? Do. I want to put emphasis on that word do. What must I do? Uh, AKA, also known as, how can I achieve this? What can I do in the time that I have uh, in this life to make sure that I am positioned to eternal life? What must I do? This question, actually, that uh, this rich young ruler is asking is really the same question that. The disciples, that the 12 disciples asked Jesus previously in his ministry up in the Sea of Galilee. You may remember uh, the question was asked in John, the Gospel of John chapter 6. And they, they come to Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask this question, What must we do to be doing the works of God? What, what must we do? It's the same question that the disciples had previously Ask. And what I want you to see here is that this question is a question about law. It's a question about earning. It's a question about achieving. What must I do? And so because it's a question about law, in the same way that we saw Jesus answer a question about law by giving a response question about law last week, what we're going to see this week in this narrative is Jesus will do the same thing. He will answer the question about law with what he must do by the law. So what I want to do is read the rest of the narrative. So I'm going to read from verses 18 all the way to 31, and then we'll begin to unpack the rest um, of this with our time together. So, uh, what must I do to eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one calls me good except God alone. And in verse um, 19, he says, you know the commandments. What must I do? Jesus says, you know the commandments. He's going to go right to the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then the young man said to Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go 
sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And disheartened or in sorrow or in deep sadness, disheartened by the saying, disheartened by the reality of Jesus raising the bar of the law, the perfect reality of law, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were, the disciples, they were exceedingly astonished at this. And, and then they asked their own really, really important question. Exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, then who, then who can be saved? If it, if, if it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, then who can be saved at all? Is the question that they ask. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now, both in this time, both now and this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Verse 31, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is... Uh, the word of God. These are the words of God for us this morning. Um, the young man, the rich young ruler, he, he wants to ensure that his goodness, that his good works, that his ability to follow the law will pay, will pay off for him in eternal life. And so since the question is about his goodness, the question is about his doing, uh, Jesus will talk with him about what he must do. And he starts, as we said already, he starts with the Ten Commandments. He starts with the Old Covenant of the Mosaic Law. His, the rich young ruler's understanding of the law was much lower than it needed to be. And so Jesus raises the bar to the perfect standard of God's law. And so he asks the question, what is the, 
book of Moses say? What do the Ten Commandments say? And he lists a few of the Ten Commandments and not in order and not all the ten, but he lists a few of those. And then uh, I wish that we knew actually what this man's voice inflection was when he answered Jesus. Uh, we, we don't know what his voice inflection was. We just know that he answered Jesus this way, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. Now, perhaps this is him giving a, a, a defensive reaction where Jesus says, well, what did the law of Moses say? Uh, do not uh, commit murder. Uh, do not defraud. These things that he mentions. Uh, I wonder if his reaction was defensive as it's like, well, yeah, of course, I'm good at that. I've done all of that. Perhaps it was defensive. Perhaps it was this triumphant exclamation of how good he really believes he is, how good he is at following all of the rules. We don't really know what his voice inflection was, but regardless, uh, this rich young ruler was pretty confident in his doing. He, he had been a good boy in his life. And at this, as we see, Jesus raises the bar of the perfect standard of God's holy law higher than this young man could have ever possibly imagined. What I want to do here is I want to pause and make sure that you see clearly uh, what Mark tells us in verse 21. Uh, when he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I achieve it? Jesus answering a question about law with law. Well, the reason why he does this in verse 21, it's clear because Jesus loves him. And I think that's really important for us to see here. Jesus looking at him and loved him. He realized he needed a, a revelation of grace. He needed to really see clearly about what the law demands of us so that he would humble himself and call upon the saving grace that Jesus came to give, uh, came to give him. Uh, I, I, um, I want to say when we, when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus, he, he loves and he pursues, he, he cares for, he brings the message of mercy and grace to the down and out, but he also brings it to the up and the in. And he brings it to the poor and he brings his message to the wealthy. Uh, and everyone in between receives an opportunity to receive the, the, the message of God's grace and his forgiveness and what he came to give us, full redemption and restoration. But we see here that money was certainly uh, an, an idol in this young man's life. Perhaps it was the idol in this young man's life. And because Jesus loved him, he would challenge him with the perfect standard of the law. Uh, the young man was wrong in assuming that he could attain eternal life by his doing. And so Jesus raises the bar beyond what he could do or would do. The hope is that he would humble himself. But that's not what the young man does. He was set on the law. Uh, but we understand and know the new covenant of grace means that eternal life does not come from our efforts, but only as a gift from God so that no person, Ephesians 2 tells us, so that no person can boast. 
eternal life. We've been talking about this in our series a lot. This phrase, eternal life, is not achieved. It is received. And that's what Jesus needed this young man to understand. And it's what he needed the disciples uh, to understand. They still needed this revelation of grace in Mark chapter 10. You know, I think uh, perhaps you saw this as we read through us. When you, when you first read this, uh, maybe a thought is, is Jesus, when he's interacting with this young man, is he bad at math here? Because he tells him, uh, there's one thing you lack, and then he tells him to go do four things. And so it's like, one thing you lack, and then he tells him to do four things. Uh, is uh, Jesus not really good at math here? Uh, let, me, let me help you understand uh, what the one thing is. Because he does tell him to go do four things. One thing you lack, so go do this. And here are the four things. Go sell everything you have. After you sell everything you have, third thing, give it to the poor. Fourth thing, then come back. Come back to me. And then he says, come. And here's the one thing. Here's the one thing that the young man lacked. What he lacked was Jesus. What he lacked was following Jesus, the message of grace in Jesus. That's the one thing he lacked. He was missing Jesus. He was missing grace. And at this we know in the story, the young man goes away disheartened. He goes away sad and sorrowful for he had great possessions. In other words, I've been really good at the Ten Commandments. I've been following the Ten Commandments since my youth. I'm really good there, but I can't do that, Jesus. I can't go away, sell everything I have, give it to the poor, and come back. Emphasis again on the word do. The gospel isn't about uh, what you do. It isn't about what I do. It isn't about what this young man uh, could do or would do. The gospel isn't about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for us. No amount, no amount of law doing inherits eternal life. So verse 23, it transitions the story. The transition happens from the story from the rich young ruler to the disciples because they also desperately needed this revelation of grace. And so verse 23 transitions the story to some teaching time of Jesus and just the disciples. And it's interesting to note that Jesus calls the 12 here children. It's the first and only time that Jesus calls them children in Mark's gospel, reminding them that they must become like children if they are going to enter the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus told Uh, In the text right before this in verse 15 in Mark 10. And so Jesus is calling them children to invite them to believe like children this message of grace that he has come uh, to give them and the world. And so in his teaching time as well, in addition to calling them children, he also uh, uses hyperbole again. You may uh, remember the hyperbole that he used in Mark chapter 9. It's a teaching tool of Jesus to uh, make a point, to elicit some strong emotion and to get a response. Um, And he uses this word picture of a camel and a needle, this hyperbole to make sure they're really clear uh, about what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. And he says, uh, it is easier for a camel 
to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, before I unpack this hyperbole with you, let me just say this. Jesus isn't saying here that he's against having possessions. In fact, there are many people that were disciples of Jesus who were following his ministry and providing for the ministry out of their means. He's not saying here that every single person should go and sell everything they have and give it to the poor and follow him. What he was saying is that that's what the rich young ruler needed to do because he is teaching him to humble himself and fall on grace. But that's what he told the rich young ruler. We even know from the story of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, he has this revelation of grace in Jesus. Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a fraud. He was stealing money from his own people to give to the oppressive Roman government. And after this encounter with the grace of Jesus, we know from Luke chapter 19 that he voluntarily gives up half of his possessions. And then he restores fourfold of what he gained from fraud. And Jesus said this about Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. So uh, Jesus isn't saying uh, that he's against possessions here. Uh, What he's teaching here is about the gospel. He's making sure that his disciples understand that eternal life is not achieved but received to make sure his disciples understand that the gospel isn't about what you do. It is about what Jesus has done and will do for us. That's the specific context is the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus raises the the bar of the law to its perfection so that we know that we cannot attain it and we cannot achieve it. The disciples can't attain it and achieve it. The rich young ruler can't attain it and achieve it. I can't attain it and achieve it. And you can't attain it and achieve it. And so at this teaching, what do the disciples do? They, they are aghast. They are aghast with the hyperbole, with this visual of the camel and the needle. And then they ask uh, this question, uh, then who can be saved? After they had seen the ministry of Jesus over the course of about three years, after everything that they had seen and heard, they still don't understand the full revelation of Jesus's grace. And we're talking days or weeks before he goes into Jerusalem during Holy Week. They're confused by the visual because a camel was the largest animal in Palestine and the eye of a needle is one of the smallest things we can possibly imagine. So the hyperbole means exactly what you think it means. It's impossible for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And so they're aghast with this question. And they had to get the message of grace because that is going to be their mission very soon. And their time with Jesus again was running short, happening right before Holy Week. And the gospel mission was about to be squarely on their shoulders and they still didn't understand. So Jesus, to get their attention, uses hyperbole in this visual. And it's impossible for a rich man. It's impossible for a rich man. It's impossible for any man to enter the kingdom of God on his own merit. 
It's impossible for any man, any woman, rich man, poor man, any man, any woman to enter the kingdom of God on our own merit. And that's exactly where he wants the disciples to be because he loves them. This question, then who can be saved? It's exactly where he wanted them to be because he loves him. It's exactly where he wanted the rich young ruler to be because he loved the rich young ruler. And it's exactly where he wants us to be because he loves us. What I want to do with the rest of our time, the kind of a closing here, is to compare these two questions, to compare the question that the rich young ruler is asking at the beginning of our text today and then, and then compare that with the question that the disciples are asking at the end. Because how Jesus answers the rich young ruler's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus basically says, well, you must follow the perfect law of God perfectly. And then when they ask the question, the disciples at the end of the narrative, then who can be saved? Here's how Jesus answered that question. Well, with man, based on your own merit, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then who can be saved? With God, all things are possible. With man, it is impossible for any man to follow the perfect law of God perfectly and to do enough to inherit eternal life. That's the big distinction that we need to make here in this text. The rich young ruler believed that his obedience was complete and he was devastated to learn that there was so much more that he had to do that he couldn't do and wouldn't do. The disciples had to learn that salvation is beyond the human power to achieve. It's humanly impossible to achieve eternal life with God, but it's absolutely possible to receive eternal life from God by faith alone, in Jesus alone, through grace alone. Jesus is the way. He is the only way with God, with Jesus, with his grace, with his work, what he has done for us. It is the only way. This is what the rich young ruler was missing. This is the one thing that he lacked. He was so bent on his doing, on his performing, on his achieving, on his accumulating wealth that he was blinded to the message of grace in Jesus. And he went away sorrowful, disheartened because of his way, his bent toward law and rules. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, underline, put a box around this in verse 21. Jesus says, here's the one thing you lack. What you lack is following me. And then I want you to put a box around or underline or highlight what Jesus says in verse 29, for my sake and for the gospel. Follow me. Receive the grace and the salvation and the forgiveness and the hope and the peace that is in Jesus for my sake and for the gospel. The rich young ruler, he could not, would not embrace the radical message of the gospel. The message of Jesus is, in his way, is a paradox to the way of the law and the way of the world. And he says this in verse 31, the first shall be last 
and the last shall be first. And the promise is this, uh, again, this uh, visual for us uh, of, of receiving a hundredfold in this life, uh, certainly through persecution, with persecutions, but following me for my sake and for the gospel, you will receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing a hundredfold, both in this life and the next. And so what, what must I do? What must we do to inherit eternal life? Well, under the law, you must do every perfect thing perfectly. But under grace, you must do nothing and receive everything from Jesus. Then who can be saved? Well, under law, under rules, no one is righteous, not even one. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, but under grace, anyone and everyone can be saved who believes and receives the message of grace in Jesus. I want to read uh, Romans 10, 1 to 4 as a closing for our time together in this text today. Paul again to the church in Rome, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for you is that you may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. The rich young ruler had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, not according to the revelation of the grace of Jesus. Verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Not a works righteousness, but an imputed, a given righteousness. Not about what we have done, but what, about what Christ has done for us. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law. He is the end of of the old covenant of law. He obeyed it perfectly. Every iota, he has liberated us from it and he has invited us, he has inaugurated and invited us into the new covenant of grace. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, for righteousness to everyone who believes. I mentioned earlier in John 6 when the disciples came to him with the question, what are the works of God that we should be doing? And this is how Jesus answered them. It's very similar to what Paul says in Romans 10. This is the work of God. They're asking what the works are, plural. What are the works? What are the many things? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Same question. And Jesus answered this way, this is the work, singular. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom the Father has sent, that you believe in me. So church family, let us get clear about the liberating message of the gospel of grace again today. And I just want to say like it says Mark 10 again. And they had been following Jesus' disciples for three years and they were still not totally getting the revelation of grace. And so I pray a revelation of the gospel of grace to each and every one of you that it is righteousness when we believe and receive the work of God for us through Jesus. Again, by grace, 
through faith. This is the good, good news. This is what sets captives free. This is what heals our blindness. And this is what empowers our lives to be transformed, literally transformed and changed by the kindness of God, to know God and to follow God and to be a part of the mission of grace in our lives. Uh, You are blessed in the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, I feel stirred even as I say these words and and thinking about uh, what you taught in this passage and how important it is for us. And so I pray, Lord, that this would not be a message that's just like, oh yes, this is the gospel again, that, but that our, our hearts and our minds and our lives would be receptive to go, oh yes, this is the gospel again for us, to save us, to redeem us, to restore us, and to empower us in our lives, to believe the message of grace and to be a part of the mission of grace in our lives. Lord, we receive it, we believe it freshly today, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing one more song together. And as you sing this song uh, with your friends, will you sing this song with your family? I invite you, as we do every week, uh, to taste and see that the Lord is good, uh, to receive uh, the elements of communion, um, the body of Jesus broken for you, the bread of Jesus broken for you, and the blood of Jesus, our liberation, the blood of Jesus that sets us free. So I invite you uh, to come to the Lord's table in your home and to receive that. And as you're stirred in worship and offering, uh, you can send that in to our P.O. box. Uh, You can get on our website and bring your offerings in that way. Let's continue to worship God now in song as we close this morning.